So as we've been spending these weeks answering tough questions, it occurred to me as we approach today's tough question that appropriately so, it's time to ask you a few tough questions. Are you ready? I know it's 8 o'clock. I know it's been hot and humid. You're coming, just crawling into worship today, but I'm asking you to just take a moment to think and ponder a little more deeply. Here's the question, number one. What is a phobia? The answer is a fear. You know that one. Will that be in the case? If a phobia is a fear, let's see if we know the answer to these very common or somewhat common phobias. You ready? Here we go. What is appellidophobia? Anyone know? Come on. Do, 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 do. This happens to be the fear of baldness or the fear of bald people. One and the same fear. Uh, you may have this fear, not sure. Um, here's the next one. What is a porphyrophobia? Anybody know what that is? Any takers? Give you extra credit. I have candy in my pocket I'm willing to give you to get this one right. Um, this happens to be the fear of Minnesota Vikings fans. <laughs> kind of. It's the fear of the color purple. Not making this up. This is true. Okay, here's the next one. have no idea how to pronounce it, but what is ketophobia? Anybody know? If you're curious, it's the fear of Hairy people. We had the fear of bald people. This is the opposite of that, the fear of hairy people. Okay, um, the next one, philosophobia is, anybody know? This is one that often is something that people encounter when a pastor begins his sermon. And, and this is the fear of being seated too long, Okay. If you ever wondered. And there's the op opposite of that, and especially in liturgical churches like ours, is the next phobia, stabisophobia, which is the fear of standing too much. And uh, okay, so there's that one. Um, and this one is one of my favorites right here is the uh, archer, but I, I can't say it, but just look at it. This is the best one of all. This is the fear of having peanut butter stick to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> Not making this up. I got it from Mr. Grothouse, so it must be true. Right? Great fear. And then, of course, the last one is the phobophobia, which is the fear of fear. And uh, you remember the great speech that goes down in history, we have nothing to fear but fear itself. And, and there is great truth in that because fear is a major, major, major setback in the lives of people. Um, it, it has the power uh, to decapacitate people. It has the power to paralyze people. It has the, the power to limit our ability to live life to the fullest. I read a story this week of a man back in June of 1945 in Germany 
uh, in fear, and, and maybe understandably so, of course so, as the Nazis were advancing across Europe, this man went into hiding in an abandoned family farmhouse in the basement. And, and that makes sense. During a time of war, he went into hiding. But fear led him to, f- to actually hide for 32 years. Not making this up either. Finally, after 32 years, his sister had been visiting their hometown and went to just visit the old homestead, this abandoned farmhouse up in the mountains, and discovered that her brother had been living there for 32 years. The, the newspaper at the time interviewed him, and, and uh, his, his name, um, uh, Janez Ruz, he says this, he said, if I had not been discovered, I, have would, I would have remained in hiding in fear. So I am happy that this happened. You think? (laughs) 32 years living in fear. You know, I would suggest that often people remain in hiding in fear for much longer periods of time than even that. Because fear has the ability to limit our ability to live life to the full. And, and, And with all of that by way of introduction, I want to read to you the question that was submitted not so long ago uh, to the Tough Questions series. Here it is. Could you please address being a Christian and what it is to still live in anxiety and fear about everything going on in the world? I know that Jesus has overcome the world and as Christians, we have eternal hope in Him and our real home is in heaven. But right now, we live on this earth and there is a lot of bad happening. For example, people say, don't you believe that God will protect you and your family? But I know that doesn't mean that he won't let anything bad happen to us. God's protection doesn't mean freedom from all harm in this world. I I know the Bible says not to fear or worry about anything and that he is in control But I still have fears about the realities of shootings, terror attacks, and people believing that it is right to kill those who believe differently than them. Kidnappings, rape, natural disasters, men spying on my daughter in the bathroom, horrible presidential candidates, (laughs) etc., etc. How do I give my family to the Lord And live in less fear about living in today's world of declining morality and increasing violence? It's a pretty good question, I'd say. And most likely a question that a lot of us are asking these days. It has been an incredibly challenging time in our history. And while violence and immorality has always been there, it seems to be leading not just the front page or the front story, but it continues to be the stories in an ongoing way. And we've talked about some of that last week, whether it be racial tensions or a war against police officers in in our nation right now, whether it it, it be terrorist attacks in another one this past week or whatever that was that happened in Munich and and, and, and the, the ongoing violence and war and and the atrocities of injustice, and, and seeming just, it just is going further and further and further and getting closer and closer to home. And the, the, the issue of fear and how to live 
without fear. I love what she says here. I, I know, she says, that the promise of heaven and, and God has, has made us for eternity. She says, I get all of that, but how can I today live without anxiety, live without fear? And you hear that question posed as a parent. And that question, same question, could be posed as a grandparent. It, it could be posed as a kid. I was reading a list of, of what kids back in the, the 60s, what their top five lists of things that they're afraid of. And it, it included things like, um, you know, hunger sometimes came up. Or the other one was um, something like, um, oh, what was the number one? Bad grades. And a list, oh, there were some others, I, I didn't write it down, but they were all kind of just day-to-day stuff, fear of the dark, uh, fear of the dentist, things like that. And, and then they compare a, a list to today and, and what kids are, are worried about. Divorce was high on that list. Uh, their parents, fear of war, fear of, of terrorism, fear of being shot. And it's like how much things have changed face that today. How do we live without fear? We've probably heard this many times. One of my favorite realities of God's word is what is, in fact, the most repeated phrase that God says again and again and again and again throughout Scripture. You mean, you'd think it would be that, that I have forgiven you or uh, verses on, on love and loving one another. You'd think those would be the most repeated things in Scripture or redemption, or verses about those kinds of things. But no, it, the most repeated thing in Scripture again and again is God saying, do not be afraid, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. At least 366 times, God says, do not be afraid. Which uh, I think John Ortberg is one who pointed this out, that it's good news because there are 365 days in the year and God's even given us one more for leap year. To be reminded not to be afraid. And why would that be that God would keep reminding us of that? Could it be that he recognized that that would be one of our greatest struggles, one of our greatest challenges as we face life in this world, is the problem of fear? Because not only does fear paralyze us from living life to the full, often when fear motivates us, it can make Things in our life appear that are not at our best. People who live motivated by fear often lash out in anger, often lash out in violence. And in fact, a lot of the things we play out in our world today and see play out are really motivated at their core by fear. Fear of change, fear of loss of control or not having control, fear that leads us to really be less than what we were created to be. Maybe you've been living in fear for far too long. And maybe it's time to come out of hiding today. What does it mean to live without fear? One of the places where God talks about not being afraid was in our gospel reading today. And he actually corresponds not to be afraid with what to be afraid of. And I want to read this to you from Luke 12, verses 4 through 7 once again. He, he says this to his disciples as, remember, thousands and thousands of people had been crowding in. And he turns to his close group, network of 
of followers and friends. And he says, I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Now, who's he talking about? He's talking about God, right? And, and God's judgment over, in context, over unbelief. Those who would reject God's authority, who would reject God's grace, who would reject God's love for them. Jesus says, fear that. That healthy, reverent fear of Almighty God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, who knows all things. Fear that. But then he puts it in context. It's, you know, for Lutherans, we, we see law and gospel here. You know, fear that. But then he goes on, he says, yes, I, I tell you, fear him. But are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. We talked about the fear of baldness, right? (laughs) Or the fear of of hairy people. (laughs) Jesus says, I know how many hairs are in your head. As Almighty God knows, even the smallest details in our life, you are not forgotten. He knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your struggle. He even knows your fears and your doubts. He says, do not be afraid, for you are worth so much more than all this. Why do we fear? Could it be that maybe we are convinced and we've we've bought into that cultural lie that says, okay, to be a follower of Jesus and to know his love is that God has then given us a, a free pass to an easy life. That God's going to guarantee, roll out the, the red carpet in and, and this lazy boy approach then to life and comfort in Jesus. That because we're followers of Jesus, it's a calling to comfort. And yet the more we spend time in God's word, we find out that actually is not a guarantee. Quite the opposite. We see those that are called by God, those who are sold out for the kingdom, often their life is very, very difficult. Think of those descriptions of, of Paul and, and his adventures of being a follower of Jesus and he lists, you know, being persecuted, being beaten, being imprisoned, uh, being shipwrecked, uh, facing difficulties in so many forms and, and hunger and thirst and almost starvation and, and all of it he equates to saying, but I'm a follower of Jesus and we will face difficulty and he, you think, oh man, how many of us have imprisonment on our resume as being a follower of Jesus? The thought of that, like, no, may it never be. And yet, we see in Scripture that being a follower of Jesus is not a calling to comfort. And as the, the writer of our question today points out, she's like, you know, being a follower of Jesus is not a guarantee that things are going to be easy. And how do we live in this world without anxiety and fear in spite of all of that? Well, then we need to answer, well, what is fear, really? What is a phobia? when it comes to life and anxiety. Um, you know, last week we, we looked at, you know, what's the opposite of love? And, and a lot of times people th- say it's hate, and you know, as we explored that together, that realization that really indifference is the opposite of love. Well, let me ask that question today, is what's the opposite of fear? Is confidence the opposite of fear? 
And, and what's related to confidence is really the opposite of fear is faith. And when we realize that the opposite of faith is fear, now all of a sudden does it start to resonate what's really going on with us. When we're living in fear, it's the opposite of faith. And a God who has created us to trust Him, and a God who has created us and called us by His love to remind us that He has everything under control. That He knows our future. He knows the story. He knows how even through the difficulties ahead or the challenges that may be in your future, or the difficulties that may involve pain and struggle and hardship, that God is writing a story of trust, a story of faith. That even in what we might think in fear could be the worst, God could say, but you have no idea how that's going to be the best. I love what a guy by the name of Dr. E. Stanley Jones, back in the day he was known as and often called the Billy Graham of India uh, as a missionary in, in India in, in, in the first part of the 20th century. Uh, this quote, just notice what he says here. I am inwardly fashioned for faith, not fear. Fear is not my native land. Faith is. I am so made that worry and anxiety are like sand in the machinery of life. Faith is the oil. Just pause there for a second. Think about that. That worry and anxiety and fear are like sand. Picture that rather than pouring engine oil into your engine, pouring sand in. That fear and anxiety and worry operate like that in the, in the machinery of life. He said, faith, rather, is the oil. I live better by faith and confidence than by fear, doubt, and anxiety. In anxiety and worry, my being is gasping for breath. These are not my native land. But in faith and confidence, I breathe freely. These are my native air. We are inwardly constructed in nerve and tissue, brain cell and soul for faith and not for fear. God made us that way. To live by worry is to live against reality. Oh, I love that. Because often what we convince ourselves or are convinced of is that the way of fear is the greater reality. I mean, what would you tell somebody whose greatest fear is the color purple? Is that something that should hinder life? Now turn that and go into any phobia. If God has given us life today, and he has created us to live a life in faith in Jesus, connected through his word, connected through his sacrament, connected through his presence, as a God who says, you do not walk life alone. The life you live in the body, you live by faith. In the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. That we are redefined not by our fears or our doubts, but God invites us to be redefined by faith. Faith in Him. Knowing it's His presence in our life that gives us the confidence day by day, no matter what that may be. Whether it means we're going to go before people who are going to persecute us and kill us for our faith. Whether it means we're going to go and walk through life encouraging and lifting up our family and preparing them for whatever is ahead. To know we walk by faith, it's what we've been made for. We are at our best when we're walking in faith, not in fear. Or as John writes it in 1 John 4, there is no fear in what? In love. Read this with me. But perfect love 
drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And what love is that? It's the love of Jesus. It's the one who went the way of suffering in our place. The one who lays down his life for us. True love defined. The one who loves us unconditionally, perfectly from all eternity. The one who defines what true faith is. There is no fear in love. It's the love of Christ. And we step out in faith, not in fear. Day by day saying, Lord, wherever you lead me today, wherever I go, I step out in faith, not in fear. Knowing fear will hinder my ability to live for you. But rather it's in faith with my eyes fixed on you that I live a life for you. I've told this story and it just keeps coming up as just one of the most amazing examples. A guy by the name of Jeremiah Neitz who had been living on the streets because he'd been kicked out of his parents' house at the age of 18. He'd been kicked out because he was uh, arrested for selling drugs. Uh, his 16-year-old girlfriend was expecting. He had been high on drugs. He'd been drinking. And in, his life was in shambles. He'd, he'd quit school some years earlier. And, and his life and the trajectory of where his life was about to go was horrendously bad. <laughs> there was no hope. Until the day he, he's walking past a church. He walks into a lobby of a church and it's there that a youth director actually recognizes him and calls him by name. Jeremiah, is that you? And he's like, you look terrible. And he was covered in his own vomit. I mean, it's just a mess. And over the next several weeks and months, that youth director worked with Jeremiah, got him help to get sober, gave him help spiritually to encourage him, helped him out with a place to stay. And you fast forward a couple more months, and there's Jeremiah uh, sitting in a, in a church like ours. Uh, it was a youth night. There's a concert going on, and, and while the concert's going on, the sound of gunfire is heard outside the, the doors, and, and then glass shattering, and this gunman walks into the sanctuary and starts opening fire on all these young people. And those that were witnesses there, and this was early on as, you know, when shootings weren't yet common in our nation. He had kids standing up saying, hey, shoot me, because they thought it was an act or a skit. And, and, and several other kids were shot in that moment. Those that were there witnessed Jeremiah when that happened. He didn't duck underneath the pews or the chairs. He actually just sat in the chair and started to pray. They, they just saw him with his eyes closed, hands folded. Spending time in prayer. And, and finally, as the gunfire stopped, the gunman shouted out at Jeremiah as he had the barrel of the gun pointed at his head. says, you, you don't believe this in blankety-blank, curse word, faith stuff, do you? And, and with that, Jeremiah stood up and said, sir, yes, I do. And I want you to know you can shoot me if you want. I know where I'm going. I have faith in Jesus, my Savior, who conquered death. I'm okay. And I want you to know, I was just praying for you to know that same faith and assurance. Some way, somehow, Jeremiah survived that attack. And as the, the reporters came in and, and realized the extent of what had happened and, and his sense of courage in the face of death, they asked him, how are you so brave? And his response was, it wasn't me. This is all I can say is maybe God is teaching us something about what happens when he gets a hold of our lives and our hearts. To realize that he can use anybody. 
to proclaim his love. You know, God can use anybody without fear today. God calls us to live a life of faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you teach us what faith is all about. That more and more the anxiety and the misplaced meditation, Lord, on the problems and and the possibilities of what might happen, Lord, are, are only paralyzing us. You've called us to step out into the world, not as people of the world, but into the world as people of light and of love and of faith. Lord Jesus, lead us as that kind of people to always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that we have and to do so not only with gentleness and respect, but to do so by faith, with confidence, not in fear. Lord, lead us in that kind of way more and more as your people. In Jesus, now and always. Amen.